Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, Chief Commerce Strategy Officer and Publicist, and Scott Wingo, CEO of Get Spiffy and co-founder of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 275 being recorded on Wednesday, September 8th, 2021. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg. And as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. Jason, last week we did a deep dive into the Warby Parker and the Allbirds S1 filings, which was a lot of fun. And we got a lot of really good conversation out there with listeners talking about digitally native vertical brands. And we thought, you know, who could we bring on that could keep this conversation going? Who has experience with wholesale brands, retailers, and a vertically integrated D2C brand? I'm pretty sure there's only one person in our industry that checks all those boxes, and it is industry luminary, Mickey Drexler. We are very excited to have Mickey on the show. Welcome, Mickey. Uh, thank you for having me, and I'm excited to be here. Oh, my gosh, Mickey. We are we are thrilled to chat with you. Um, I, I'm eager to get into uh, all the juicy topics going on in the industry and kind of cover your background, but we have to start with the most important thing first. Uh, and you may not know this, Mickey, but uh, Scott is very successful in the e-commerce industry, um, and uh, he, he's invested a lot of his earnings from that industry into the car wash industry. And uh, <laughs> the reason I bring this up is because uh, you you have famously uh, been on uh, the TV show Breaking Bad. <laughs> and I think that Scott is basically the, the plot for Breaking Bad. Is that... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm sitting on pallets of cash right now. <laughs> One of the highlights of my life, nine takes, uh, but it was really a lot of fun, and I love that show. It, it is a it is a great one. One of the best shows on TV. Yeah, um, ever. Yeah. So, yeah, we could probably do a whole show about Breaking Bad, which I'm going to uh, uh, resist the temptation. Um, so... Uh, Mickey, normally we start out the show by letting the guests kind of uh, tell us a little bit about their background. Um, that could be tricky in your case because, A, all our listeners probably know some of the highlights of your background and um, your background's uh, amazing. Um, but, like, uh, when you meet someone that doesn't know you, like, how, how do you describe your career? Well, uh, I, I say I'm a retailer, and uh, I leave it at that. Uh, I'm uh, no reason to go further. Uh, sometimes people after the fact say, gee, I didn't know you are who you are, et cetera. But uh, if they want to know, uh, I, I then maybe answer some specific questions, but uh, I, I don't give them my resume at all. Nice. Uh, well, for, for the sake of our listeners, I am going to break it down a little bit, although I, I appreciate uh, the, the humility of it. Um, and uh, you, uh, you tell me, uh, if I have it right, but like you grew up in, in, uh, the, the, um, Northeast and, uh, and started your career in the apparel industry. So you, you worked for a bunch of storied apparel retailers, uh, Abrams and Strauss, Macy's Bloomingdale's. Um, and if I have it right, your first big job, uh, that I don't think that many people remember is you were, uh, the CEO at Ann Taylor. Yes. Uh, by the way, the Northeast, uh, means the Bronx to me. Yes. That was very special in my life. So uh, that's where I grew up. Awesome. Uh, 
And my first, uh, after the three, I had joined, uh, I say Bloomingdale's, then briefly Macy's, uh, then A&S. Then I decided I did not want to work in the department store business anymore. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to uh, uh, become the CEO of Ann Taylor, which was a tiny uh, company losing a lot of money, owned by a larger uh, company that happened to own Brooks Brothers. And you probably never heard of the other companies because most of them aren't around anymore. Uh, and uh, I, I did that for four years. And uh, we were then taken over by a big bureaucratic department store. Uh, and I decided I was never more disappointed at that point in my life. I was a pretty young guy. Uh, and I wanted to leave because they, they didn't appreciate uh, the business we were in. And it was all about bureaucracy. It was allied stores, in fact, who then eventually, I think they bought, I'm not sure who they bought. But uh, so I left, uh, I left uh, ANS, ANS, I left uh, Ann Taylor and uh, moved to uh, Gap in San Francisco. Yep. And then uh, for all the young kids uh, uh, listening to the podcast, Gap is going to sound like this famous iconic brand. But when you joined in the late 80s, um, uh, they, they hadn't maybe achieved all of their uh, success yet. And so, like, frankly, you you are credited for being the, the CEO that led this uh, enormous expansion and growth, both financially and in terms of uh, popular awareness of, of the gap. And I want to say you you uh, launched a couple of the, the gap brands like um, uh, Old Navy and Gap Kids. Um, and uh, somewhat relevant to the conversations we have on this show a lot, I think uh, you made a, a pretty significant decision to take Gap from being a, a wholesaler that sold a fair amount of other people's goods to a vertically integrated brand that primarily focused on making your own goods and selling them direct to consumers through your stores. Do I have that right? Yeah, uh, yeah correct. Uh, I, I joined uh, Gap. You don't mind if I correct the details. I, I no, joined please Gap. do. At the end of 1983, uh, which was then, it started as a 100% Levi's company. Uh, they only bought from Levi's. And then when I got there, it was about one third of their business uh, was Levi's. Uh, and uh, I, 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 long story short, I learned in my uh, retail life then, especially having worked alongside Brooks Brothers, uh, which was at the beginning of their decline, frankly, uh, in the uh, mid eighties. Uh, but they were, they owned their label, uh, and they didn't sell wholesale then. Uh, and they did not have to worry about competitors, et cetera, et cetera, going on sale. Uh, they also were the highest profit company in a relatively small conglomerate of retailers. And the reason was, their margins were very high because, again, they weren't dealing with competitive uh, sales. Uh, my department store experience was the opposite. If you're in uh, buying wholesale, uh, someone else will put the goods on sale. And, of course, today, you know, 30 years later plus, uh, it's the standard. Uh, and so I decided when I got to Ann Taylor to own our own label over time. Uh, I didn't want to deal with competitors who had the same goods as we did, uh, and we did direct to consumer or whatever you call it today. And that was in 1980, uh, well, 1980, uh, 
1970, actually, 74 or five. I'm trying to think of what, oh, 1980, exactly. I joined them in 1980. So when I hear about direct-to-consumer today being the new hot area, uh, it's been there. There's been a number. There were a few of us who did it. Uh, and from a profit point of view, it was the only way I wanted to go. I did not want to buy wholesale. We, uh, Levi's, uh, ironically, uh, after a year or two, kicked us out because they said we were copying them. I'll never forget the lunch. It was a long, boring lunch in San Francisco. And I said after, I said, they should have sold us that right at the beginning so we didn't have to go through this long, boring lunch. <laughs> when, they, when they then said, we're not selling you anymore. Well, frankly, I didn't really care. Uh, and when you have news like that, you figure it out better than when you don't have news like that. So uh, we stopped being buying wholesale from Levi's. Uh, and uh, great brand, by the way. They, they were, you know, hugely monstrous brand. And uh, we did it on our own. But that was fine. And, and that's how it began. That That's amazing. And uh, I, I'm totally with you. It's I, I talked to all these young entrepreneurs that just started a new direct-to-consumer brand. And many of them are under the misguided impression that it's a new business model that they just invented. Yeah, um. I, I know. <laughs> well, there's there were a few of us then, uh, and now there are many, many uh, of us. Uh, but uh, it, it is what it was. It was not where you could build a business and wake up in the morning and control your inventory and your prices. Uh, when I joined the Apple board in 19... I think years later in 1999, Steve Jobs basically felt that's what he wanted to do with Apple. That was his first year there. And uh, he wanted to go direct. Now, of course, he did continue doing business with Walmart and Target and all that. But he became uh, direct, probably the greatest retailer ever. Uh, and uh, But, you know, it's a standard today. It's, there's nothing new about it. Uh, in fact, it's old. And uh, it, it is what it is. Yeah, no, I, I I tease people that the very first merchants of all times, like you know, made their own rugs and sold them direct to consumer. So that's that was the first model. Like wholesale right. is the newer the newer model. Um, right. uh, and so uh, I do. Uh, uh, so then the next chapter is going to be uh, J. Crew, and we're going to go back and talk about some of the interesting issues that you confronted in some of these places. But I do want to just highlight. Um, uh, I, I assume you still follow the gap. Um, <laughs> the I, I, I was chuckled because it seems like you took them predominantly direct in a lot of their news lately. I don't know if you followed it, but they they have a partnership with Walmart for their home goods. And I just saw something today that they announced that um, they're going to distribute Athleta, uh, which is their um, their their workout apparel brand um, that's doing really well uh, through REI. So it's it's almost like they're it's interesting that they're now adding some wholesale back to their mix. Yeah. Um, well, e each company is entitled to, you know, they, they all have a point of view. They have a vision. And I think that's what theirs is. Can't argue with it. Yeah. No, uh, and obviously pros and cons to all of these. Uh, so then you left the gap. Was it around 2000, 2002, something like that? Yes. Two, yep. uh, I think I left in, I think, 2001. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think I left in 2001. Uh, in fact, uh, September 26th to be exact, huh? 2001. And I started at uh, J. Crew, uh, uh, who's counting uh, January, I think 25th or something in 2002. 
Awesome. And what was the circumstances at J. Crew when you started? Well, it, it was a mess, a complete mess. Uh, by the way, I, I know you mentioned this, but uh, uh, I, I started um, Old Navy. I, you, you probably know that story, right? No, no, no. Tell us. Well, it's, it's an interesting story. Uh, there was an article in the New York Times, uh, page four or five, uh, in terms of some, some things I never forget that like that. And I read about, uh, Target Corporation, uh, then known as Baton Hudson, starting a company to copy the gap. And what do you do when someone wants to copy you? You get emotional, you get crazy, and then you fly to, uh, Minneapolis to the Mall of America and say, okay, I want to see what it looks like. Uh, and I walked in, I was there probably for four minutes and I said, this is way, way off. So I was relieved, uh, because to me, everyone with a sewing machine is your competitor potentially. I walked out and I said, you know, this is a big research company. You know, they, they, I know they do a lot of research, very successful and today more than ever. Uh, I stopped in Chicago on the way back to San Francisco. I visited two stores whose demographics would be a price point below where Gap traded. We were very, to me, we were very moderate and not expensive. Uh, and I spoke to the store managers, which you have to do in this world today. You speak to who deals with customers. It's a, like, I've always done that. It's my rule. Uh, in any case, they taught me a lot of lessons. Uh, Gap was too expensive for this area. Uh, things were always on sale. And I knew that I picked those two because they had low margin stores. Long story short, uh, got, uh, flew to San Francisco thinking about that. Checked the jeans business. Uh, 80% of the jeans in America then was sold this was 25 years ago, sold below $30. 100% of our jeans were above $30. So I say, this is not, uh, this is not a stupid idea for them because we are considered a little more expensive. I gave 10 uh, of our associates then $200 each. I assigned uh, them to shop certain categories called Target, Walmart, uh, then Kmart, uh, Mervyn's, uh, and come back uh, and let's discuss it in a week. They all came back. Bottom line is they care about product. They care about price. They couldn't care less if it ended at 99 cents, 87 cents, as Walmart used to do, <laughs> uh, et cetera. And, and uh, right after that meeting, I just said, we're going to do it. We're going to open up our version of uh, it was called Everyday Hero. Uh, and I, a uh, few people from uh, Jenny Ming, uh, who worked at Mervyn's, was running part of the Gap. Uh, Jeff Feifel, we moved over. We started with a small group uh, to do uh, what was then had no name. Uh, and uh, and Don Fisher was always, you know, he was always pretty open about entrepreneurial uh, stuff. And I said, we're starting this company. Uh, we didn't have a name. Long story short, uh, we couldn't come up with a name. I was in Paris going to the airport, and I see a bar on Rue Saint-Germain called Old Navy. And I said to uh, Maggie, who was with me in marketing, I said, what a great name for a company. Registered the next day in America. No one had it. And that was the name. Now, of course, my board didn't really like the name. 
you know, but to me, you name your kid, you're not going to have a negotiation over what you name them. We had a negotiation. I hired two naming companies that have with horrible names. And <laughs> later on, I'll tell you how we got the Old Navy from Old Indigo. And that was the beginning. First store open called Gap Warehouse. Old Na- had three names. And I said, we do this and we have no gap in five years. So then the next store, uh, it was called Old Navy. And that's how we started. Today, uh, it's probably 80 or 90% of the earnings of the Gap Corporation. I'm guessing. But uh, tremendously successful. Yeah, that yeah. has been the tide that has lifted all the the gap boats for a while. Um, yeah, and yeah, that that is amazing. Uh, you you raise something that I have to ask though because uh, I it Go comes ahead. up a lot. Um, I I work with a lot of brands, and these days I spend a lot of time cautioning them about how good the retailers are becoming at inventing their own brands, and and their first reaction is always the same as your trip to Minneapolis, like, uh, you know, Target's not very good at this. I'm not very worried. Right. Um, right. And, and I think that was absolutely true back then. And in many categories, it still is true. But I would argue that in some categories and Target more so than most is getting darn good at this. And you look today at like Cat and Jack um, and they're yep. very successfully competing with with Baby Gap and, and you know, sort of traditional brands. hundred um, percent. I totally agree. But the- uh, you know, but they're good at it and the yeah. product's right. Uh, and uh, I think their inspiration, I was told, was uh, uh, J- crew cuts. I don't know if that's true or not. I'm not in the kids' business anymore and I don't pay attention. But yeah. uh, absolutely true. Look, if there's a vision and, and, and the product is right, and I always say the product has to be right. And in their case, you know, uh, the price is right. Uh, well, the, it's product quality of product, value. And that's, by the way, when we did Old Navy, that's the story in any business. Right product, right value, uh, right marketing and emotional connection to it. And knowing how to operate a retail company. Uh, and uh, and the style and taste is all, you know, for us, it's very important. Yep. So, so then uh, we mentioned that you you uh, uh, started that that January at J Crew, um, which was a mess at the time. Um, and uh, I want to say one of the things you did for J Crew, kind of mirroring the old Navy story, is uh, launched the Madewell brand there. Uh, yeah, well, I did that uh, before I joined J Crew. Um, I bought the name Madewell from a. Uh, a fellow named David Mullen, who has a really nice company uh, uh, here, uh, that uh, David used to work with me uh, in Wash. He was a Wash consultant, very talented guy. Showed me the name before I went to uh, J. Crew. I love the logo. It's very hard to name a company. And the name uh, immediately resonated with me. And I said, well, why don't you buy it? He says, I can't afford it. Uh, and uh, so I. I paid $125,000 for the name, which, you know, once you finish with those naming companies, which I wouldn't want to do, <laughs> they'll charge you a million dollars and they'll come up with bad names. No offense to the naming companies. Uh, but, it, but I thought the name 1937 already, it had a history. It had a feeling. It had emotion. So I bought the name and tucked it away. Uh, and when, uh, we went public, uh, when we turned J. Crew around, uh, let's see, I was there in, two, in about three or four years. Two years. Actually, the turnaround always starts a year and a half later. And about three years later, 
or whenever um, I thought it was time to uh, start me. So that's when we uh, start to use the name. Uh, and that was uh, unlike everyday, uh, unlike the everyday hero from Target. Uh, this was a, this was more complicated uh, because uh, the uh, Old Navy was a price point or two or three below Gap. This one, uh, and I might say, was the first company to get to a billion dollars in sales as fast as they did until Apple did their stores. So it took off like a rocket at, at uh, uh, Old Navy, like a rocket. It was really a very cool store. Uh, and Madewell was much more difficult. Uh, we took it, uh, we had a number of different people leading it, and we just couldn't get it going the right way. I made a number of mistakes in opening up uh, bad real estate, which in those days, it was real estate wasn't online, uh, and that didn't work. Uh, and we just didn't get our act together for at least four years or five years. And I was really upset because I said, you know, this is taking away from the value of our public company. So if we lost 15 or $20 million a year, which I think we were, uh, maybe $15 million a year, uh, you know, you take the multiple of the stock and all of a sudden, you know, the company is worth uh, $300 million less because we're starting Madewell. So that, that kind of aggravated me. I, you know, I couldn't get rid of that aggravation the way things are. Uh, but then, uh, Somsac, uh, came back to uh, the corporation who had left for a year or two. And, uh, he was put into, uh, in charge of, uh, uh, Maywell. And he did an incredible job. And so he and I worked very closely together. Uh, and I always merchandised and was very involved in and he did the design, and he had a vision for design. I had a vision. Well, the storefront uh, was kind of a, I was always inspired by, I think they're still around, but I'm not sure, a bread a bread store in the village called Vesuvio, maybe? I don't know if it's still there. The bakery. The, the bakery, yes. I yeah. always loved the way the store looked. So we designed uh, a store, uh, kind of felt, like a, I'd say it was Vesuvio. I'm, I'm just, uh, I should look at a picture of it. I think it had a green front. And, uh, and we built a really, I, I, I was really pleased with the store, but I was not pleased with how the business was going. Uh, and, uh, Somersack came in. Now I'm looking at the storefront now online. Beautiful store. I don't know. It's a yeah, beautiful store. Cool. And uh, emotional. And uh, then when he came in, the rest, then the business started to take off like a rocket. Plus a woman uh, named Mary, uh, who uh, was a jeans maven. Uh, Mary knew, Mary knew more about jeans. And uh, she joined us from uh, Jay Brand. And Mary came in, uh, Mary Pearson. And uh, she and Somsack, uh, and it takes people to do it. We put together, uh, we became a major jeans seller. Uh, that was our vision, the best kind of jeans, that not crazy designer prices. And the company took off also at some point like a rocket. Uh, and uh, that was the story of Nemo. Uh, and, you know, all, all the retail, to me, all the, all the companies in fashion, 
they hit a wall at times and then they come back or they don't come back. And uh, hitting a wall is part of what goes on. And, and every company I've been involved with has hit a wall. Uh, at some point it hits a wall and then you either save it and bring it back or, uh, or it continues to have a hard time. For sure. Um, the uh, side note: uh, another company that hit a wall, sadly, was Vesuvio, which is a hundred-year-old bakery in Soho. I have some good news, bad oh. news. Um, they had a hiatus, and they reopened in like 2020. Um, so the last oh, time really? I was it was in Soho, they were yeah. they were open. I have not heard what has happened since the pandemic, and I can imagine it wasn't a great time for them. So I hope they're doing well. We'll check it out, and uh, <laughs> we'll let you know. Awesome. That's cool. Um, so then I do want to kind of just wrap up the, the career stuff, and then we're going di- to uh, dive in a little deeper on a few of the things that we've already talked about. But uh, so today you are at Alex Mill, and do you want to tell us uh, a little bit about Alex? Yeah, sure. Uh, Alex, my son, or Alex Mill? Well, both. Uh, I, I was waiting for All you right. to tell that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, my son started the business in 2013, uh, and uh, he, he started, I was very involved, and I pretty much had nothing to do with it at all, which he reminded me uh, <laughs> when I started here. He says, you know, you don't even wear our T-shirts, which we're famous for. And uh, and he was right. I just didn't pay any attention, and I probably should have, but he didn't ask me really, and uh, he was a wholesale company. And uh, he, you know, did a, did a little business. It was kind of cool. We had a, a little bit of a cult following. And and I'm allergic to high prices, uh, which really gets translated as to bad value. Because, you know, I don't mind high prices in certain categories or where you get what you pay for, or you know the prices are ridiculous, but you might love Hermes luggage or whatever from Hermes, uh, but, uh, or designer clothes in general. So uh, he went along. Uh, I went along. He, uh, uh, when I left, uh, J. Crew, I didn't think anything about his business. But when Samstack, uh, who, by the way, he quit, he had a non-compete, uh, and I was his agent. So, I mean, help, I helped him get, uh, jobs, uh, in the industry, uh, part-time jobs, freelance. Because he walked away from a very, very big job. Uh, and uh, so the day his non-compete was up, uh, i uh, that was the day. It was the beginning of a new Alex Mill. He and Samsek met and knew each other. Uh, and Alex was very happy that he would find uh, a partner. And Samsek is considered a founder of the company. He's a major shareholder, along with Alex and myself, and uh, he uh, joined us. And then I was very happy, kind of had a job again, because wow. I was doing stuff, uh, but not doing what I love to do, which is uh, be involved in building a company uh, with vision, et cetera. So uh, I joined, I, I think it was about two and a half years ago. I'm not even sure of the date. Uh, and we had a little tiny office, which I now we doubled the space since then. And we started to build a business. And uh, we had a vision. We added women's. And uh, Alex and I, at the beginning, were, I would say it wasn't uh, a marriage made in heaven. <laughs> uh, it's, be- it's become one since. 
uh, when and it took a lot of work and a lot of a lot of help and me finally listening. <laughs> I'm going to say something. He's going to listening to his mother, my wife, about <laughs> making certain that he and I get along. And I, <laughs> I did that with him. It was like an Arrest conversation. And uh, it's been really, really nice over the last number of months. But it's hard to be with your dad. And I, I was trying to figure out, is he uh, someone I work with or is he my son? And it's extremely difficult. And he kept dealing with me as whatever I've done. And uh, so now he's, uh, you know, he's a partner along with Samsak and, uh, and Hussein. And uh, we hired a team. And uh, it's very hard to start a company. I had the bank of Gap and the bank of J. Crew in my other two startups. Uh, now I didn't have their bank. And so we funded ourselves, which in a way is really good. I also didn't want to have, for the first time in my life, too many opinions that weren't right. And uh, that, that was a blessing, even though, you know, I'm doing this for a million years. Uh, if we're right, we're right. And if we're wrong, we're wrong. But uh, my best board members were always people I knew anyway, not necessarily on the board. Uh, but... When you have a money partner, which uh, I, I certainly did, uh, they think about profits. They think, which is nothing wrong with it, but it take, it's long term to build a profitable company. Uh, and when you have, you hit a wall, you fix it if you're good at it. Uh, I, I always had a, a kind of an ability to get knocked down, and I just get right back up, and I don't stop. Uh, but in some cases, that doesn't happen. But here we are, uh, independent, uh, Leon, uh, not negotiating colors or styles or what someone else thinks we should do. And we're expanding. And the business uh, is starting to really kind of take off now. So uh, I'm, I'm really excited. I've always been excited about it. Uh, it's about the taste, the quality. And I look at the, the landscape out there, and I think that there's not a lot of uh, – Things going on that I feel uh, are what I would say are incredibly impressive. There are those winners, and you all, we all know who they are. Uh, so, uh, but I'm very excited about it, and uh, I think we're all excited. But it's small, you know. Yeah, small, not that small anymore. Twenty people work here, uh, and we all have like multiple jobs, which is good. Uh, I'd say small. It's growing pretty rapidly. So, uh, and, and you know. That's our mission. My, I have a, some great empathy for your son, Alex. Uh, I'm a fourth generation retailer, and I, th- I can imagine poor Alex just wanted his famous dad to wear his T-shirts, and he got an activist investor instead. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what, you, you're a fourth generation retailer? Yeah. Yeah. My family uh, sort of started out in the, in the grocery and then later jewelry business. I did want to highlight you've referenced it a couple times that you're also you you, you uh, uh, had a, a long stint on the board at Apple. And I want to say I, I've been uh, uh, worked with Ron Johnson a number of times um, and I've seen some interviews with Steve Jobs. And in both cases, they reference you as the the retail savvy board member at Apple. Um, I met Steve and I love Steve. I idolize Steve and I still love him to this day. Um, he was extraordinary. And uh, 
I get very sad thinking about it. Oh. Uh, the way he died, what he went through. And uh, um, so you'll excuse me for a second. Uh, Steve, uh, we met. He, what he wants, he gets. And he doesn't stop at anything. The most seductive human being I've ever met in my life. Uh, we met at a mutual friend's birthday party in Napa Valley. He came up to me and we start to schmooze. And, uh, you know, I say to Steve Jobs, hello, Steve, you know, and he's schmoozing. And we're talking. And he uh, got in touch with me after that, asked if I would join his board. And I said, no, I don't like public companies. Now, I took my schmuck, anti-schmuck pills after that, okay? Because, hello, is that a bad word to say? She's no. Like, no. Okay. no. <laughs> and I realized, holy shit, this is, you know, not to join his board, but it took a year. And I just. I, You're I, playing you know, hard I to get. On, you know, <laughs> I was on a board, you know, bless them, family board uh, and all that. And, you know, board boards, and I was on a number of other boards. And I, I, I get bored very quickly on boards uh, because that's the way I am. And I need to be action busy. And I'm, I'm not a tech. Just, I don't know much about it, but so a year later, he came to me after having come to me and said, you join my board. I will join Apple's uh, Gap's board. Well, Steve hates boards also, <laughs> but he uh, and I said, deal. Why? Because, um, God, will he be amazing on the board just as a factor of not going along with everything or anything? Uh, and uh, he became a pain in the ass to a number of people. He wasn't always on time. He didn't go. He didn't want so this kind of. Uh, but uh, he privately, we had a really nice, strong relationship. And uh, so he joined the board. And I would say he made a few enemies on the board because he, whatever he thinks, he says that's it. He says it, and uh, and sometimes he says it, and he doesn't make people happy. So. Uh, so that's essentially what happened. So in any case, uh, I joined his board. Uh, and uh, first thing he wanted me to do uh, was to design a store. And uh, we, we uh, he had a really bad looking store and uh, that he designed. And then uh, we, we got a warehouse, which we used to do with my old company. Uh, and uh, we got a warehouse and we designed a brand new store in the warehouse. You know. Four or five thousand square feet, uh, and uh, the store was really good looking. That's basically what Apple stores are today. It's simple. Uh, it showed off the product, and it wasn't a store that was chachkied up where the product was competing with the design. And uh, that was our first Apple store. Uh, and uh, and after that, I just you know he'd ask me about color of iPods. He always wanted to review the colors, et cetera. But, um, you know, I was on for 16 years and uh, lived through extraordinary success. And, you know, appreciated. I don't know. I didn't appreciate it while he was alive and well. Uh, but I just, I just always, you know, he went to the meetings. He started every single meeting uh, or spent most of his time on the product. And you don't find that in many people, in many companies. They spend most of their time necessarily not on product. That was Steve, on product, 
He was tough. He was entitled in a, in, in, in a good way in my mind. You know, Obama didn't call him back one morning. Uh, he wanted uh, President Obama to uh, launch the first uh, iPhone. <laughs> he was furious Obama didn't get back to him. I'll never forget that. He says, how can he not call me back like this? It might have been four hours. Al Gore was on the board. Al said, Steve, I'll get him to call you back, whatever. <laughs> but, you know, Obama called him back when he had a minute. He came back and says, he's going to launch the iPhone. Of course, he never did. But that's what Steve wanted to believe. Anyway, uh, amazing, amazing run. Uh, and an amazing person. He and Johnny I every day had lunch. Uh, and every day was... You know, what's the future going to hold for, for Apple? And, uh, he, uh, the other, the other thing he did, uh, is it kind of made me for sure. And none of us feel stupid at the end of a board meeting. <laughs> I wasn't a technology guy. And sometimes I'd say something that he'd look with derisiveness that, gee, how could I say that? And, uh, and then you kind of bury yourself and say, Oh, I don't want to disappoint Steve. Yada, yada. But he was a, to me, he was a special, unique, gift to the world. Uh, and I miss him. And I think the world misses him today. Absolutely. Mickey, I'm the entrepreneur on the program. Jason has a fancy corporate job and a title that has more words than I can keep track of. Uh, the, so you've, you've been a successful entrepreneur for decades. What, what advice would you give to an aspiring entrepreneur listening to the show? Like what are, you know, distill down some of the things you've learned through there? Um, uh, I, I was explaining to him that every single day, we have a really nice marketing business. We do well. But every day I come to work and I reach for the sky. And I'm trying to explain that no matter what we're doing. Oh, he also at times says I'm too critical of things or people or whatever. And I said, you know, Alex, every day I come to work. I said, every day you come to work, uh, I come to work and I look for what's could be better not for what you write. And uh, I think a lot of people have a hard time with that. Vision is critical. Where you're going, how you will get there with the unknowns is critical. So people say, well, how did you do this, that, or the other thing? And I said, I had a photograph of what gap should be. I did it in Mainwell. I did it in J. Crew, And I... Actually, I, I did, yeah, in J. Crew, and I did in Old Navy, and I didn't. So I had I had a photograph in my mind. We did fail in one business called Hemisphere because it was actually a business you buy. Uh, yeah, I had to deal with obstacles, and that didn't work. But uh, you get knocked down, you get up, and the, the skill set is huge in terms of what you need to do. Uh, and I I can't speak about instinct uh, in other. Areas, but I think instinct, judgment, seeing around corners, or they say skate to where the puck is going, is extremely important in the fashion business. Uh, and knowing when to go, knowing when to stop, when things slow down, extremely important. Picking the right team, there's so many rules, not rules, but you've got to pick the right partners. And when you make a mistake in a partnership, and so many of us don't do this quickly enough, face up to your mistake and, and, and do something about it. Uh, you know, and, uh, and the bigger the companies are, the longer it takes. 
to the smaller company like this, well, you're all living together and it doesn't take long. And when you're writing your own checks, and that, that's a big difference. When you're writing your own checks, which I know most people probably don't have the ability to do, uh, it's very different than the, the, the uh, private equity, the joint venture, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But you've got to treat each business as if you own it. It's your money. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, and that's part of it. And then, you know, the, the passion, uh, I say leadership, I, curiosity, I think anyone who's not curious in my mind can't do well running a company. That they have to be curious unless it's, look, I, I can't speak about technology companies. I just, I don't know enough about it. I assume the same rules apply. Uh, but building a retail company, it's kind of like painting a very beautiful picture. It has to all fit together. Uh, you know, I once went, I twice went to visit Ford Motor Company. It's design headquarters. And the first time I got invited was because at a meeting with uh, Jeff Sons of Yale, from an old friend of, they showed the new Mustang. This is probably seven or eight years ago. And the CEO was there. And I said, he says, what do you think of the car in front of all these people? I said, it's a very cool looking car, but the, the wheels are really bad. And I would never want to market or sell a car or have one myself where the wheels are bad. Now, <laughs> I know it's, it's kind of silly-ish, but it's not. It's putting together a painting and there's nothing worse there are worse things and wheels that stand out like a sore thumb. So he invited me to uh, Detroit. We went to the design room. The fact is, the CEO didn't go with me, which I thought said something. Uh, he's no longer, not because of me. So. Uh, and there were seven people designing the one car. And I yeah. and, and now you understand why the cars, in a lot of cases, look like they look. Steve always wanted to do a car. He would have done. And I'll never forget when I, he was, he was fascinated with Tesla, very impressed. And I, from his point of view, and it wasn't smart. I said, I don't know if you remember the two seater Tesla sports car. The Roadster. Yeah. I said, Steve, it's such an ugly looking car. He looks at me like you are pathetic. It's not about the car's looks. You can always design a beautiful car. It's about what's inside the mechanics, the engineering. But uh, anyway, I think, uh, you know, as, as for me, I'm accused of being a micromanager. Uh, you really better be, you better care about the wheels. You better care about this and care about that. You better care about every color you buy. Because, you know, we have, a, if you do bad colors in our, in our business, uh, the color is a P&L. And if you buy three good colors and then two bad ones, you don't margin out on, on the product because you have bad colors, uh, which I don't think people pay enough attention to. And uh, I could go on. I'm trying to think what else to go on with. You know, I know we're we're running up on time, but just quick quickly. So you've, you kind of were very early on what, what this kind of direct to consumer. Um, now there's this whole digitally native vertical brand. Um, what, what do you think is driving that trend and, and where do you think it goes? Yeah, I think it continues to go because if you're buying wholesale, you know, the pricing is all off. And I, I saw that when I was, you know, a young guy, you know, 
Like when I was at Bloomingdale's, I was 23. Uh, Alexander's department store, maybe fourth generation member of the standards. Uh, they, I was a swimsuit, sweater, and t shirt. And every, now I wasn't, I didn't do that for terribly long, but for the year I was in there, a year and a half, Alexander's cut their prices uh, in the middle of June. And I'll never forget, I had to cut my prices. We had a policy to meet prices. Uh, so I was a young kid in, in the business, and I was furious. Oh, Alexander's is here, and now my, my, my profits and margin then went to hell because I had marked down all my bathing suits. Now, it was a stupid rule, but it wasn't a bad rule. Actually, I kind of like the idea of meeting price of competitors. That was the beginning of what's happened for the last 30 or 40 years. TJ Maxx, the most important department store in America. Uh, and, uh, the, you know, Nordstrom Rack. Uh, we have all the discounters that, that, and, and you go online and you, we had a big discussion here yesterday. We said, well, do we sell this to Nordstrom Rack? And he said, well, if it was an existing item, we wanted to get rid of some bad covers. And they said, you can't because then you're going to go online. You're going to look for this item. And guess what? It'll be Nordstrom Rack or whoever else, TJ Maxx, before you see Alex Mill. So the pricing is critical. So why, and a lot of what I did was also, because who I always admired, Ralph Lauren, but I didn't admire his pricing. And I know what all these things cost. And so I said, we can put together a, a design team that will hopefully be as good as a design team in the wholesale markets. If we do that, and I say I you know, it was thing you had in your mind. I don't want to have another profit. So, so the profits were always, all the retails are inflated in America in goods that are wholesale purchased. Because if you spend 50 of cost, uh, and here we might sell for 150. If you spend 50, you sell for Bloomingdale's for 125, and 125 goes to 275 or $300. There's the difference. Uh, in pricing. So TJ Maxx knows that really well. Ross stores knows it. Uh, everyone knows it. And, uh, and I think that's why I don't think there's a future to be in that business. Uh, and I've said to department stores, I'm friendly with a lot. I'm probably not able to hear this, but um, <laughs> no department stores listen to our show. I promise. Okay. Kidding. <laughs> so I said, <laughs> I really don't want to say, I, I said, you can't, you, what, where are you going to be in five years or 10 years? If everything you bought is available at a discount. And that's the truth. So, and, and I have friends in the business, they do a hell of a lot more business with TJ Maxx. They do with most of the department stores. And where, where does that leave you? And Carol Meyerowitz is a great merchandise. Uh, and really smart. Nice person, uh, but one is 40, 50, 60 billion dollars with huge profits. So, so I, I'm not a big believer, unless now this is where I stand it or not. The luxury business is not, uh, I, I don't know. There they probably can do it. LVMH does something, they do it brilliantly. I guess the other one, you know, they're probably, they could probably do it because those customers probably like it. And want 
exclusivity. They like paying more money and so on and so forth. But it works for them. I think it does. Yeah. So, um, so I, I don't know if I've answered yeah. uh, the question, but that pricing thing is huge. No, it's a it's a big issue for the industry to figure out, and people that that don't are gonna uh, have a have a challenging future. I think, as you as you've highlighted, I I did want to ask you a question. So, if anyone Google's Mickey Drexler, you're you're gonna find all these business articles with your picture on the cover and some variation of this title that we've all given you, the Merchant Prince, um, and the the kind of gist. I hope I hope you're okay with that. Uh, it seems like you get that title whether you want it or not. Uh, <laughs> but the gist of all those is that uh, man, uh, Mickey had a really good run of of picking a lot more winners than losers. Of therefore having the 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 products that that consumers wanted, and uh, you know, there, therefore achieving a bunch of financial success uh, for for your various businesses. And I've I've always wanted to ask you. Is in your mind, is that success as a merchant, is that were you better than other people at identifying the trends that were emerging and what people wanted? Or were you better at getting people to want what what you liked? Um, I, I think it's a little of both. Um, I think uh, our industry is lacking uh, merchants today. Uh, as much as I've seen over the last many, many decades. Uh, I don't know what it is, but uh, I, I think you have a sense of seeing around corners. You must see around corners, I believe. Except if you're, you know, if you're a commodity seller, if you're a discounter uh, and you're good at it, you don't have to see around the corners. You just have to source right and have the right pricing. And have, have a right point of view or so, but those businesses, they're out there. I don't really know them well. Uh, but, uh, but, but that, that's important in most businesses, not in a, you know, at, uh, at Warby. I think, you know, most of the eyeglasses they sell, what's true of all of us, most of what we sell are what we would call, uh, you know, heroic items or uh, iconic items. Uh, but you, you have to feel it and you have to see it and you have to have an instinct. And, uh, and the instinct is incredibly important. Uh, I think you know, I was talking to uh, a friend yesterday and he said his 15 year old is now cut a record. I don't even know what EP is. Something yeah. stands for something. And I said, you know, it's interesting. I said to Henry, I said, do, um, do, do, is there anyone in your family who is musical? I always ask someone that question, whoever I interview. And sure enough, uh, Henry's wife uh, plays very good piano. And Henry was a musician uh, growing up. Uh, and, and now here's their son being a very talented musician, artist, creative. Uh, there's always some kind of DNA-ish connection, I find. And uh, and it always also depends on who you work for. I was very lucky. I started working for a woman named Katie Murphy. I didn't work for her. She was the best merchant, uh, taste, style. And when I got to Bloomingdale's, like I was a young And I was after the first day in the house, I was saying, you know, what the hell I was doing? Uh, they gave me a department to run, Stan Stern. And that said, you're the buyer. 
one department. And Katie Murphy was my mentor. We'd go off to Europe together. We'd go to factories. And I, I, I guess I learned from her. Uh, and she, the best merchant in the company. If she wasn't a woman, she should have been CEO of the company. She was fantastic. But there is something you get on style and taste that you're born with. And I think that's true instinctively of any field in the world. And, and I, and it's not a scientific conclusion, but I, everyone I interview, I kind of want to know what their parents did or what their family did. Might have been a grandfather. Uh, and a lot of, especially the creative uh, So, uh, so I think that's really important. The, the other part of the question is, uh, most of it was what you're born with and then creating demand. Well, there's a lot of things under the radar that if you go after it, you create demand for it. The people just don't expose it. Uh, so we have, we brought in a, items we bring in, uh, all of a sudden, well, why are we doing that? Why are you doing this? And they take off like crazy because someone wanted them. And, and, and understanding what someone might want, and Steve Jobs was fantastic, uh, is all part of the skill set you need to build a fashion company. Now, I'm not talking about commodities. I'm not talking about price. I thought what Warby Parker did was absolutely brilliant at figuring out what what's out there with a stylish kind of cool company where people are going to pay $95 for their eyeglasses. Uh, the only thing I say to Neil and Dave is I think you need to, um, at times, balance off your retails. So they could probably, they become the, the eyeglass company of record. I said, I think you could have a little more fun at higher prices and higher margins. But I'm off the board now, so they're just my friends. So... Um, but no, I, I think you're, you're kind of born. I see it. I see it in every company. You sit down, I'm looking at a woman who's and she gets it. It's in her blood. Why? She just, she has it. And, uh, she's our chief merchant and sees something and feels it and knows it. And, you know, and then you have to be good at math. If you're not good at math, you can't be good at merchandise. Uh, and you have to know numbers. You have to forecast. You have to figure out how long it'll be around. You know, everyone has this, uh, whatever they call today, with the numbers of data, data, data. I said, I said, I said, we've been doing data since we're 23 years old or whatever. You always needed data. You needed to know how much to buy. You needed to know how much to forecast. And you needed to know how many sizes you do. Uh, but now they have another fancy name for it. And when you act like merchandise in a second, you're not going to succeed in a fashion. I think you just answered my next question, but that's like, so obviously the, the traditional merchandising, you have this science part, which is the math and the the forecasting and open to buy and all that good stuff. And you have the the intuition, which like to a certain extent seems like a, a God-given talent. Um, the What's interesting to me is lately some of these new companies that have been born and Amazon being a great example, like they used to hire a lot of merchants in every category. So they'd have a pet food buyer and a, you know, an apparel buyer and a battery buyer, whatever they they've kind of gotten rid of the merchant title and they've gone all in on the data. So they call it hands off the wheel and they let the computer decide what to buy instead of a, a merchant. And I've, to a lesser extent, I think uh, Katrina at Stitch Fix 
has that model a little where she uses data to inform her her product a lot more. And then you think of like uh, Shein in the uber fast fashion space. Is is that a future trend? Like, do you see that mostly working for these discount categories? Is that the? Uh, well, I I think you know you can't argue with uh, Amazon, but you know I thought um, uh, when when I was I thought Amazon should have purchased J Crew. I thought it would be uh, a really smart purchase. They'd get a culture of fashion and style. I think they'd be dangerous if they could figure that out. Uh, and uh, so we had someone approach them, and of course, there was nothing interesting. You know, not that personally I want to be there or not. Um, I think that uh, if, and look, you can't argue with Stitch Fix's success, uh, but you, you can't argue with the kind of goods they sell. If you look, I like what I do. I love, I love what I do, and it's about taste and style. Uh, and if you do that well, and you have a point of view, um, you'll probably do well financially. Uh, I, I was really good in math. I went to Bronx Science. I couldn't get arrested in chemistry or biology. But I, I was always really good in math. And I think you have to be good at math. So uh, I guess I do all the stuff they didn't have to do. I don't, we're just hiring people who do say stitch things because uh, we haven't been there. But then again, uh, we all, you know, my choice is to be in the style fashion business with fun and emotion. Uh, I give credit to any company, whatever they do, if they're financially successful and they're good employers. Um, but, uh, I, I don't know enough about Stitch Fix. Who else has mentioned besides Stitch Fix? Uh, Shein, have you, do you follow them at all? Oh, I, they're, they're wildly successful. Uh, uh, I don't follow them, but it's, but you know. It, it no. seems like they're a lot more about like um, plugging into all the social media, you know, yeah. like picking up the latest trends uh, on on uh, Instagram and, and uh, TikTok and things like that. And then like, you know, super fast supply chain to, to then get those trends in the yeah, store. Yeah. And then, again, I, I care about quality. I care about all this stuff. Maybe they're different. Uh, they're, they're, uh, where are they from? The, it is, it's a Chinese company. They don't love for people to know that. Um, yeah. Well, you know, and, and, and the, I wonder about sourcing their very, like, giveaway prices, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's super inexpensive. Perfect. Like, some people yeah. call it disposable fashion, which is yeah. probably an ecological yeah. disaster. And, this is not what we want to do. It's a kid's business or the young, young business. Yeah. I don't know. But we'll see how long it's in. Who knows? I, I, I like, you know, I like companies that will outlive, outlive me and everyone else I know. So um, we'll see. But, uh, but no, I, I think the math's very, look, you need a good mind in your business. Uh, and, uh, and, and for me, I'm a huge micromanager. I'm looking at it. Right now, a jumpsuit made in denim, which is brand new. And uh, we're going to sell a lot of it. You know, we just, but it it's kind of comes naturally if you have, we're a big jumpsuit seller. And, uh, and so, you know, you're always creating, but you're not creating non-salable. I just looked at a cake and I was really upset. I looked at it and I said, why did we buy that? And they put 87 pieces. And it's two hundred ninety-five dollars. 
I said, that's a mark then. This came in yesterday. It's a bad mark. And uh, usually they can't get away with doing that in a small company, but someone got away with buying a cake. Uh, and, and right now, they sell it off good for cost because it's not going to sell. So you kind of, that's something you, you kind of know inside. I don't know if you saw the cake, but it's just bad news. And it's not us. And, and you have to have a sense. You know, like a car is the same thing. Most of them look alike. So the Defender comes in. Uh, I think it's a Defender, brand new model. And it's made by Range Rover. It's a really good-looking car, and uh, I I looked at it, but I said I don't want a brand new hot car. I want something that's you know not everyone's driving, but it's a very good-looking, well-designed car, and you can see it's going to be a big item because it's really designed well. You know what car I'm talking about? And over? No, I'm trying to think which, which. It's called the Defender. I like the car. I like the design. Not for me, but uh, you know where. Kind of maybe whatever, but you could see the second that car came out, you knew it was me. And I think it is. I see a lot of them around. Uh, and cars used to be a lot more interesting design ones than they are today. Uh, maybe it's because there's seven people designing every car. Maybe it's the vision of, of the CEO. But it's hard to find cars, and this is totally anecdotal. You know, because we all have an interest in cars. So. You know, we told say, what's a good-looking car? And not a lot of them are around. So, uh, and I used to collect cars, and I said, well, it's kind of amazing. But, uh, but I kind of collected cars when I was a child and fantasized about having some cool cars. But they were all kind of well-designed cars, and they were uniquely designed. And uh, today, you know, it's a different world. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and it, it's it's it interesting there's sort of both uh out there there's you know um people that that uh you know still go for that unique distinctive look and care about the aesthetics and there's people that you know just want to take an uber for for transportation so uh seems like apparel is going in those same directions that there's you know strong stuff with a strong point of view and that's that's quality and unique and then you know there's there's some people that you know just want a, a affordable inexpensive sweatshirt sure well, there's more of those for sure, uh, but you know, and, and but, but I, I like the integrity of product, uh, and, and not expensive. I personally don't like expensive, too expensive. You know, I you know I know value. Maybe I'm in the business for sure. Yeah. Uh, well, listen, uh, Mickey, we could go on for hours. Um, but it has happened again. We have used up all of our allotted time, and I actually think I'm having so much. Here, guys. I know, I know. Well, I, we, we'll record the extended cut, and you and I can just keep chatting. <laughs> um, well, anytime, seriously. You're you're our new guest host. You're in. <laughs> All right, well, all right. Well, listen. Uh, thanks a lot. I, I appreciate the time and the questions and the schmoozing. I, you know, I do like the schmooze a lot. So uh, this was a great schmooze. Yeah, we really appreciate it. If uh, do you pontificate online at all? Or are you a big? Are you big on Twitter or TikTok or no, anything? Like never, never, <laughs> punch it. never, never. I was on uh, I was on Instagram for about a minute, and I came off. I, I don't pontificate. Okay, well, you if people want more, you exclusively come to the Jason and Scott show. That's that's where you'll be going uh, anytime. 
Really appreciated the, the time and enjoyed chatting with you. And until next time, happy commercing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com. 